morning. Good morning. Yeah, it's good to be here with you. I want to first give honor to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the head of this house and the head of my life, and I'm thankful to be here. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here. So I'm thankful that he's brought us all to this place to hear the word this morning. I want to give thanks to your pastor, your leader, my brother, and my friend, Aaron. Uh, he is he said some kind words about me, and I'd say the same things about him. We have grown together, um, have a great friendship, eating dinner and lunch many times together, and I'm thankful for him. If you love your pastor, your leader, your father here at this church, would you just put your hands together for him this morning? Thank you. Yes. And I want to say thank you to all of you all, too. Because as a church planner, as a fellow church planner, I know what it's like to plan a church. I know what it's like to come to church the first few weeks of the first year and like, who's coming today? What's going to happen? You know, what, what's going to go wrong this Sunday? And it, it's some of those things that happen. Yes, yes, it's, it's true. So I want to thank all of you all that have come in here to Emmanuel and, and joined and locked arms with him and said, this is my church. I'm going to press hard and put my hands to the plow with him and build this church, build God's church. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And um, as you can see, and as Aaron already said, I did not come alone. I brought my fine wife. She is the sugar in my Kool-Aid, the aftershave on my bald head, the wonder in my wonder bread. She's all that and more, and I love her. Uh, we have four beautiful daughters, four, and I made a mistake. We actually moved here with two, so we have two more now, and uh, God has blessed us with them. But if you're a male in here and you have any free time, y'all, I'm always available. Come on. Take me out. Take me out. I like ball games. I like golf. I like all of that. So we can have a good old time. Well, without further ado, I want to get into the word of God today. We're going to be in John chapter 4. And as Aaron said, we are... Um, we're, thrive, we're, we're a multi-ethnic church over by the United Center, multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational church. Um, God has uh, sent us here, and we're thriving. It's a church that we're actually going to two services next week. God is doing a lot of work there, but it's not easy work um, in a city like Chicago, as you know, one of the most divided socioeconomically and racially divided cities. But the thing is, when we get to heaven, as we just read in Revelation 7, every tongue, tribe, and nation is going to bow before the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're not going to sing hymns over here, we're not going to sing gospel over here, and contemporary music over here, we're all going to be together. It's not going to be black and white and Asian, Hispanic over here. We're all going to be together worshiping our king, and that's what I want to look at, but I really want to look at how do we get to that place. So this morning, maybe a little tough for some of us in here, maybe it's a tough for me too, but we're going to kind of look at these hidden idols in our lives hidden idols in our lives. And before I talk about what a hidden idol is, I want to talk about what an idol is by itself. So a simple definition of an idol or idolatry is when we take, when we start to worship the good gift that God has given us, we make that thing the ultimate thing in our lives. And an idol can simply be anything. I want you to say that with me. An idol can be anything. Let's say it again. An idol can be anything. Anything. And see, when we talk about hidden idols, I'm not talking about the things in your life like your family, money, love, work, all of those things can be idols, and a lot of those things are good. So the idol itself may not be the bad thing. It's what actually comes out of the heart. So the idol itself, the thing that you think is actually the thing that's causing a problem, is really residing in your heart. 
So there's, there's a lie beneath the lie that we believe that causes idolatry. It's not the actual idol itself. See, so hidden idols, these are idols in our life that are somewhat hidden, and they're hidden because we're immersed, we're immersed in them on a day-to-day basis. So these are the idols of culture. These are idols of society. These are the idols of race and religion, politics. And these are difficult. These are difficult because when you think about an idol, you, you don't think about these being idols, do you? I mean, these are the things that we do on a day-to-day basis. This, this is a part of our daily, day, daily lives. We don't think of these as idols. But in times like this where politics are going crazy, I don't know if anybody's really looking forward to this election. And you, you got young black boys getting killed. You have police officers getting killed. What happens is that these cultural and these racial idols, they start to rise up in us. And they rear their ugly faces in ways that we didn't know we had. See, this hidden idol comes to the surface. So this is where I want to spend time talking about. I won't be able to cover all of the hidden idols, but hopefully we'll we'll be able to dive under the covers a little bit in our lives and, and, and examine our hearts a little bit and look at some of those hidden idols in our life. We're going to be in John chapter 4, as you read uh, this morning in your reading. I'm not going to read it again, but verses 1 through 6, and we're going to talk through pretty much the whole chapter. Verses 1 through 42, I think you have it all, so you can follow along with me as I highlight different verses as we go through. And again, today I want to talk about hidden idols, hidden idols. Before we go any further, let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for bringing us together here. I thank you for an opportunity to share your word. Lord, I pray one thing simply, and that's that you would hide me behind the cross that you would decrease me so that you may increase in this place. Father, let your word fall afresh on your people. In Christ's name we pray. And we all said together, amen. 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 Well, just the other day, my wife went to visit her, her auntie. And she was visiting her aunt, and my daughters got to go with her, and they got to visit their cousins for the first time. They're visiting their cousins for the first time, and, and they're having a ball. I mean, they're playing. They're, 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 they're having a good old time. They, they bake all these cookies and pies and things. And the bad thing about that, y'all, when you have all these women in your house, all that stuff comes home. You know, and I'm trying to be good out here in these streets. I'm trying to lose some weight, and they keep tempting me with all this food. They bring it home. I mean, they're having a great time over there. They're playing. They're swimming. They're having a good old time. And then mom says, it's time to go. Maya, my oldest, has a hard time with this. She doesn't like the fact that she has to go, and tears start to flow. And then her cousin, the older one, comes up to her, and she says, Hey, Maya, it's okay. Just go hide over there. (laughs) It's not a good idea. She says, Go hide over there. You go hide over there. Your mother will forget that she told you it's time to go. Just go hide. You see, the problem with this is if you're a parent and you have any children, what happens is you don't actually forget that you told them to go, to, to, to go get their stuff and it's time to go. You actually see them the whole time going to hide. And, and, and in order to be polite, you don't say, hey, 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 I told you to go get your stuff. You just keep on talking to the other adult. And, 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 and see, it's confusing because the child really thinks, oh, mom forgot about me. I'm going to go hide and I, we can keep playing. We can have a good old time. But see, all the while, as a parent, and my wife in this, in this stance, she's actually getting more and more infuriated by the second. Because her child's not listening to her. 
And then what happens is when they walk out the door, mama ain't happy no more. She's turning green, something like the Incredible Hawk. She's ready to snap, and all of a sudden, Maya gets scolded because she didn't listen. What's the point? See, hiding is never good. Hiding is never good, and it's the same with hidden idols in our lives. When they start to expose themselves, it's never a good thing. It's never a good thing. See, these are the idols that are not easily noticed They might not be the deep heart idols of like power and money and love and success, but these are the idols that because of your culture or the color of your skin, you will never notice. For example, our our culture, we live in this culture of me. This culture of me where we really don't recognize it, but we simply don't want to do anything or get involved with anything if it doesn't benefit us. If it's not convenient for us, we don't want to do it. We won't commit to things that will stretch us. We want it our way like Burger King. We, 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 we won't date unless the girl or the man has exactly what we want. See, I, I love counseling young guys, but they always come to me with the same thing. Man, I want a girl that's five, five, thick thighs, skinny waist, all that, and a bag of chips. I want her to be the bomb. And I'm like, brother, have you looked in the mirror? <laughs> 70 pounds overweight talking about you want this. And the thing about a relationship is that it has nothing to do with what you want. And it's all about serving the other person. It's loving the other person. But see, what's driving this is this cultural idol of me. You see, things have to be quick like a microwave because everything we do revolves around me and what's in it for me. And don't hear me saying don't do things for yourself. Do things for yourself. But what has happened in our culture is that it's been formed in a way that everything in our lives has to revolve around me, making me an idol. Then sadly what happens is that when things don't go your way, you end up feeling ruined. When that girl doesn't like you because you're too self-absorbed, you feel like the world is falling apart. When, when your job doesn't go the way you want it to go, you want to quit because it's too hard or you didn't get to do what you wanted to do. And what's driving all of that is me, this, this idol of me. Family, you see what I'm saying? See, things can easily be hidden in society and culture and can tend to drive a certain narrative in our lives, which in turn, they become hidden idols in our lives. See, in our passage today, we specifically, we're going to look at a cultural and a racial hate between the Samaritans and the Jews that frankly has existed for hundreds of years, centuries, and that has ruled the way they interact. And I would simply call this a hidden idol. So as we jump into our text here at the beginning of the text, you see, Jesus has just left Judea. And it says he's traveling to Galilee in verse 3. Now, the interesting thing about this is that in verse 4, the text says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. You want to remember that. It says that he had to go through Samaria. The truth is, yes, to get to Galilee, the shortest way to or the shortest distance to get there is through Samaria. It took about four hours. But because Jews hated the Samaritans, they would travel days and hours on end around the city of Samaria to get to Galilee because they hated them. It was this hatred and hostility that they had between one another that dated all the way back to 722 B.C. And it still exists today. We're talking over 2,700 years. Hatred. It began when the Assyrians, they took over 
Israel and they intermarried with the people of Israel and they procreated. And this is where you get a people called the Samaritans. And Jews to this day still call them half-breeds. They call them dogs. Then some years later, during the Persian period, the Jews are allowed back in to rebuild the temple. And the Samaritans try to stop them from coming in because they, they, they hate them. And then the Jews, on the other hand, they don't want the Samaritans to take part in the rebuilding of the temple because they want to restore the purity of the Jewish race. You see, with all this bit of information, you see this immense amount of hatred between the two. And you can see it's on both sides. It's not just one or the other. It was racial. It was a cultural hate that had been there for hundreds of years. And friends, what we have to remember here is that with any hostility, with any hatred, with any this racism uh, between different cultures or races, there's always a history. There's always a history. And we cannot neglect the history. We can't change it, but we have to recognize it in order to move forward. See, much of the problem we have here in America with race is that we don't know the history of racial problems. We, we, we neglect them. We, we don't know the history. We, we've never heard about scientific racism that says that because black people have bigger lips and they have bigger noses that they were deemed from a people with leprosy, which made them a less than race and gave some scientific reason for slavery. We neglect the fact that there were Jim Crow laws that, that said that you can't use a, if a black person was found going into a white restroom or white, uh, drinking from a white only fountain, they could be hung or burned or beaten to death just because of that. This is the 1960s. It's not that long ago. Or we forget about a Chicago native boy named Emmett Till who supposedly went down to Mississippi and he, as leaving a store, supposedly he whistled at a white woman. Three days later, He's dragged out of his house, has one eye gouged out, shot in the head, has barbed wire tied around his neck and thrown into a, a river with a cotton gin around it. Found, three, found days later mangled all in his face. Can't even recognize the boy. See, see, we, we forget about these things. We neglect these things. We don't acknowledge our history. And, and, and friends, there's much more. But what's happened is we become ignorant an ignorant knowledge of history. And when I say ignorant, I do not mean stupid. The root word of ignorant is ignore. Which means that we choose to ignore the problems, ignore the systems that are in place where we act nonchalant towards incidents that happened in Ferguson, Missouri, or uh, Eric Garner, Tamir Rice, Alton Sterling, Philando Castile. Friends, and I'm not just talking about the majority culture here. I'm talking about minorities, too. See, and little do we know or want to recognize that history has much to do with how we act or go about our daily lives today. See, for years, what kept black people pushing and, and going through the different years and the centuries uh, through slavery and pushing through civil rights movement was the knowledge of understanding of what those that had gone before them, what they had already gone through. So we held on to that and we kept going because of that. See, friends, in order for us to recognize our hidden and our cultural and societal idols, these racial idols, we have to have adequate knowledge of history. We have to know where we've come from in order to understand why we are the way we are today. See, but herein lies the problem. There's a cultural and a racial hate, just like we see right here in our passage with the Jews and Samaritans that has stood between the people and 
United States for years that outweighs more than anything that the Bible says and what we believe about God, even what it says in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, that all of us have been made in the image of God. And because we don't recognize our history, we don't recognize this long-standing hate, what happens is there is this racial pride that starts to rear its face up in our lives. We don't actually notice it, but it starts to rear its face up in, in, our, in our culture, and, the, and, and it results in this hate between cultures. See, idolatry and culture and, and race starts to form. And because of this, what happens is we start to pigeonhole people. Oh, he's black. Oh, man, he must be a gangster. Oh, he's white, man. He must have some money. He must not like black people. Oh, he's Hispanic. He has taken all our jobs. Oh, he's a police officer, man. He's, he's killing young black boys. We start to pigeonhole these people in places because what's happening is these, these idols are starting to rear up in us. And we, we couldn't put words to it, but that's what's starting to happen. It's driving the way we act, the way we acknowledge one another. And hear me, friends. We rarely look at our culture, our societal views as an idol. But let another black boy get killed. Let another cop get killed. You think this summer with Ryan Lochte and his shenanigans down in Brazil, it was deemed as, oh, he's just a young boy and they're having, they're, they're having doing what boys do. I mean, how does that make you react? What does that do with inside, in, in your soul? Trump or Hillary say something you don't like. What, what does it do to you? A lot of us jump on the internet and the first thing we're doing is we're tweeting out, we're tweeting that we don't like, we're reacting this way. And friends, don't hear me saying don't have a reaction. I just want you to examine where is that reaction actually coming from? Is it a cultural or racial idol? Where is that coming from? You see where I'm going? And how you can have these idols, these things that are hidden in your lives without actually noticing it? See, cultural and societal idols are hidden. They're not easy to notice because they're intertwined with much of our DNA. And it's easy for us to say, well, man, God made me this way. And I want to tell you simply, no, he did not. He made all of us in his image. But because of sin, because of society, because of culture, because of the way you have been raised, you have consequently become who you are, which sadly has trumped your view of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to be able to critically look at the culture, critically look at the, our race, critically look at these things that are driven in society, and look at these hidden idols in our lives. I mean, you look at this text, and you think about all that I've already said, knowing that the Jews did not like the Samaritans and would travel around Samaria. Here's the catch, though. This was a 700-year-old hatred. 700 years. That means that the Jews during the time of Jesus, they did not know the Samaritans. They didn't know them. But see, and, and they really couldn't even say they had a problem with them. They're just this long-standing racial hate that's been driven into their minds, in their culture. It's existed there. So now they have become identified with it and it's kept them divided. I mean, some of the Jews, they probably couldn't articulate why we don't actually go through Samaria anymore. They just know because of culture, they shouldn't go through the town. So, you know, the disciples' faces probably looking at Jesus like, man, what you doing? <laughs> Jesus, we don't go through there, Jesus. We don't talk to those people, Jesus. We're not going to that place. As a matter of fact, they leave. They disappear. 
They go to a nearby town. They get food. And the text says in verse 27, when they come back, they marveled at Jesus speaking to this woman. They don't say anything. They're just marveling. And Jesus knows all of this. He knows that he didn't have to go through Samaria. He knows that he's crossing cultural and racial boundaries. He's no, he knows what he's doing. Hence, in verse 4, remember when I told you to remember that verse? It says he had to, hence the word. In the Greek, it's pronounced day, which means that it was necessary. The word is almost always used when Jesus or God, they choose to do something by divine providence, which means that this was on purpose. It was intentional. You see, this was his mission, and he was sent for all people, not just Jews, not just Samaritans, not black or white. He was sent for all people. But see, what I want you to notice and not miss here is that there's a big difference between the disciples and Jesus here in this text. There's a huge difference. You see Jesus being intentional and sharing the gospel or himself with this woman, and and no matter her race, no matter her status or gender, whoever she is. But the disciples, on the other hand, they know where Jesus is headed, and they're like, yo, we don't do that, Jesus. I'm not going there. And it's because of this cultural, this racial idol that's deep within them. They don't want to have anything to do with the Samaritans. Family, that may be some of us in here. There may be some of us in here. Oh, I'm, I'm just in Chicago for school. I, I, I live in this neighborhood, but I don't want to deal with the rest of Chicago. I oh, mean, th- this is my job. I'm here for work. But, but the rest of what's going on, that, that doesn't have anything to do with me. Th- those people on the south side, the west side, and, and far north, that, that's not me. Can we be honest? See, these disciples... They don't care that these people need a Messiah. They don't care that they need someone to save them from their sin. They don't care that this woman has five husbands. She's been ostracized from society. People don't like her. They don't care. Matter of fact, they don't even acknowledge this woman. In the text, they don't say anything about her. It's like she does not exist. The first thing they say in the text is in verse 31. They say, Rabbi, eat. They say, Rabbi, eat. You know why? Because their culture trumps their love for God and his mission. It's a hidden idol. It has become ultimate in their lives, and God has taken a back seat. I mean, it's sort of like earlier this year, you all remember Harambe the gorilla getting shot? Yeah, I'm going to take it there. Harambe the gorilla, he got shot this earlier this year, right? And there were more posts and more social media about Harambe the gorilla getting shot. And the thing that disturbed me the most is that we talked about him so much. And little boys and little girls get shot in Chicago every day. You know, and don't hear me saying that we should shoot and kill animals and it's okay. But you know why we, we, we think like this? Why things can and lead us and this can be more important is because we say things like, well, those kids getting shot. They're gangsters. They're black. They're Latino. They're, 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 they're crazy. They're over there. They're, they deserve it. They, they don't, that doesn't have anything to do with me. But friends, when we think things like this, the understanding of God making us all in his image, not Harambe, but all humans in his image, according to Genesis 1, 26 and 27, what happens is it takes a back seat. 
It takes a back seat to our culture. It takes a back seat to society. It takes a back seat to our race. It takes a back seat to all these hidden idols that are driving us. And all of a sudden, what happens on the south, the west, and side, it, it does not really affect me. It, 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 it doesn't have anything to do with my culture. I, I despise it. I don't want to have anything to do with it. I don't care. But see, Jesus in this text, he does not dismiss this woman. He does not go away from the people in need or that are different than him. No, he steps in and he goes to them. He, he goes to this woman. But sadly, most of us and in America, we tend to be like the disciples. We tend to be like the disciples. We don't want to pay attention or even care that others different from us are hurting every day because our culture and our races sadly become an idol. And if it doesn't affect my little circle or my culture, then it doesn't matter to me. We as Christians, we begin to obey the culture more than the word of God, which says in Acts 1.8, be my witnesses to the ends of, ends of the world. The mission of God takes a backseat to our culture. And if it does not affect me, I don't want to have anything to do with it. You look at this text, these disciples, they don't care. They don't care about this woman. They don't care about the Samaritans. And Jesus talking to this woman, look what he says. They keep trying to tell him to eat. Look at verse 34 with me. He says, he says, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Now, here's the kicker. Jesus tells them, I have come to do the will of the one who sent me, which is to save souls. And he gives them the illustration of a field that's ripe for harvest. So they would understand what he's talking about. But catch what he's talking about. You got to remember the context. So, So when he says the fields are ripe for harvest and they're sitting in Samaria, who is he talking about? He's talking about the Samaritans. Because, but because the disciples are driven by this cultural and racial idol, they don't really notice who he's talking about. They don't really care. See, I could picture Jesus literally yelling at them, look, look, lift up your eyes. And when they lift up their eyes, they see droves and hundreds of Samaritans coming towards them. Friends, is that us this morning? Do we have a hidden cultural racial idol that's driving us where we don't want to talk to people that look different than us? We don't hang with them. Our dinner tables don't look different at night. They're with folks that are just like us. You know, what is really driving us? Does your culture trump your belief of the gospel of Jesus Christ? I know that's hard. But examine your hearts. It's, what is really in there? Maybe you're sitting there saying, well, that's not me. Well, let's look at this text a little bit more. There's another hidden idol here. And it's a hidden cultural idol that's not just racial, but it's religious. There's a cultural religious idol because the Jewish people only believed that Jesus was coming to save them. That he was the coming Messiah for them. So, so the reaction that the disciples are having toward the Samaritans is deep. It's racial, but it's also religious and it's hidden. They literally don't want these people saved. The Jews didn't see them worthy of being saved. See, most of them, they, they saw them as dogs. They called them half-breeds. They scoffed at them, and they thought they were simply better than them. And see, this idol runs deep within their souls, but it also runs deep within us too. 
See, this is a dangerous hidden idol because it doesn't matter if you're a new born again Christian or you've been walking with Jesus for a while. We all struggle with this hidden idol. And the particular hidden idol I'm talking about, when I talk about religious idol, it's it, it is, is, is basing our salvation off of what we do or our works rather than what God has done for us, rather than the grace of God. What do I mean? You look at this text. These disciples in the text, or any Jew for that matter, they don't deserve salvation. They don't deserve to be saved. They have sinned just like the next person. But because they feel like they have fulfilled the law or they held the law and they feel like they are a little bit more superior than the Gentiles and the Samaritans, meaning that they think they deserve salvation. They think that they are the ones that are supposed to be saved. So instead of trusting God for salvation, they're really trusting in their own work. In other words, they've made their moral deeds or what they did more important than God himself. You see, this idea of morality in our culture, it, it runs deep. It has become much higher than God himself. And if I could just be good enough, if I just do better here, I'm better than those people. Man, it should really warrant me a ticket into heaven. It should warrant respect from other people. Tim Keller, a pastor, I, 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 much, I respect. He's in New York. He says this quote in his book, um, King's Cross. He says, the default mode of the human heart is to seek to control God and others through our moral performance. Because we have lived virtuous lives, we feel that God and the people we meet owe us respect and support. Though we may give lip service to Jesus, our example and inspiration, we are still looking to ourselves and our own moral striving for salvation. Family, is that us? Is your belief about God based off of what you can do for him or is it based off of what he has done for you? And see, I wish I had more time to preach this, but see, I'm thankful that I have a, a savior that has saved me, not based off of what I have done, but based off of what he has done for me. Because Lord knows if he was saved because of what I had done, I would not be here in front of you. I would not be preaching. I would not be married. I would not have a church. I would not be pastoring people because of what I have done. I know where I've come from, but Jesus, but if it had not been for the grace of God, I would not be standing here. See, some of y'all caught the amen. Some of y'all missed it. Because that's, I mean, that's all, that's all of our testimony. If it had not been for the grace of God in our lives, we would not be here. If it had not been for him pulling us out of the muck and the mire and the, those bad situations of the things that we're doing, and continually to this day, even as we walk with him, if it had not been for the grace of God, we would not be sitting here together. So friends, the question is, we're getting to the end it's probably lingering in all of our minds is, okay, I see these hidden idols. What do I do with the hidden idols? It's simple. The answer is acknowledge them. Acknowledge them. And here it is. We have to be able to acknowledge the hidden idols in our lives. And when we do, here it is. Hear this. It gives us freedom. It gives us freedom. See, the Samaritan woman from verses 7 through 26, she acknowledges this longstanding Racial and cultural hate between the Samaritans and the Jews saying things like I'm a Samaritan. We don't hang out with Jews You ask me for a drink. How can I give you a drink? You say worship over here. We say worship over there I've had five husbands. You don't want to talk to me See she willingly admits and acknowledges her mess her sin and what happens watch this Jesus saves her 
See, friends, what I'm trying to say is that when we acknowledge strongholds, when we acknowledge idols, there's freedom. There's freedom because there is no hidden power over you anymore. And you can now know the problem that has held you back. And now Jesus can walk in your life just like he does with this woman. And you can say, here I am, Jesus. This is who I am. Here I am. Make me the man or the woman that you want me to be, Jesus. This is who I am. But here, don't miss this. It has to be God that does the changing. It has to be him to do the working in your life. If not, what happens is when we start to acknowledge the idol, it can be problematic. Why? Because what happens when you start to notice problems in your life? What happens when your car has a problem? You try to fix it, right? But see, the problem with trying to fix it when it's an idol and it's deeper is that it's not just a habit, a habit you can fix. See, when it's, it's an idol, you've begun to worship that thing. It, it drives your life, which means that you're a slave to it. So you cannot replace it. You, I mean, you cannot fix it. It has to be replaced. And it only can be replaced by the one who's deserving worship, and that's Jesus Christ himself. It has to be replaced. See, too many times we think we're changing a habit, and we keep on slipping back into the same old thing over and over and over again. That's because it's probably not a habit. It's deeper can't be changed it has to be replaced let me end with this my first car was a 91 Pontiac Grand Prix I love that car two doors it had the Dolby sound system in it I put a TV in it I had I had 12 inch subwoofers in the trunk it had dents big old bowling ball dents in it and and but somebody told me when I was a young child, third class riding is better than first class walking. You'll get that when you go home. <laughs> See, it, and I held on to that. And this car was my baby. It had an oil leak, though. This was the problem with this car. It had this big oil leak. And I would drive it around. And, you know, I was cheap. It was my first car. I didn't have money like that. And, and you know, I was too busy buying TVs and stuff. And, and, <laughs> and see, but the oil leak... Every time I would start the car up and try to drive off, it would be a part of oil. So what I would do is I'd buy a quart of oil all the time and just put it on in there. And just put it on in there. And, you know, I'm cheap, so I'm trying to just, just medicate the problem. I'm putting it in there, and all the while, I'm really not fixing the problem. What I'm doing by putting this in there, and if you know anything about it, with the airflow that's continually going through the, the hole that's in the car, and I'm putting oil in there, it's continually flowing through. It's making it rust more, and it's making the hole and the problem a lot worse. See, really what I needed to do was take it to a mechanic who could diagnose the problem and could change out the oil pan that actually had a hole in it. See, you're not following me. <laughs> See, sometimes, friends, what happens in our lives is that we have these problems, and we get glimpses of these idols. We get glimpses of the things that are driving us in our lives, and we try to fix these things. We put some oil in there and say, oh, yeah, let me just put that in there. Let me fix this problem. All the while, the divine mechanic, Jesus Christ, is sitting on the sideline saying, I see it. I see the problem. I see the hole right there. Stop trying to fix it. Just bring it to me. Let me replace it with myself. Let me fix it. Fill the hole. Let me replace it. Friends, hidden idols can be tough because culture can drive many things behind the scenes in our lives. The way we, we talk, the way 
we eat with one another, the way we look at people, who we talk to, where we live, what job we take. But hear me, friends, those of us that call Jesus Lord and Savior in here, we shouldn't be driven by the culture. If you notice anything by this text, Jesus crosses every racial, every cultural, every gender boundary, every sin boundary to get to this woman. If we notice anything from this text, It's that as Christians, we should be the ones driving the culture. We should be the ones challenging the culture. And if we want to see a race race reconciled city, if we want to see this city look anything like heaven, we have to step into those cultural boundaries and and step over those lines and, 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 and talk to the people we don't necessarily talk to. Our dinner tables need to look different at nighttime. We need, to, we need to go into the neighborhoods we don't like to go into or we don't feel comfortable with. We need to step foot in churches that we may not feel comfortable with and partner with other people. We need to have friends that don't just look like us. That maybe we need to learn a little bit from them and they can learn a little bit like uh, from us. Friends, we got to challenge the culture. We need to be driving this culture. But first, we got to acknowledge how it's been driving us and those hidden idols in us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for your church. I thank you for your goodness. God, I thank you that you're a good, good father, that even in the midst of our idols and even in the midst of our idolatry and our hidden problems, God, you still love us. You're still a good father that we can come to and say, here I am, Jesus, this is me. Replace my sinfulness, replace my heart, heal me, do with me what you will, God. And I pray that for myself as well as some in here, where that may have been us, maybe there's idols in our hearts, God, I pray that you would do the work in us that only you can, God, to reveal those hard things and restore it with your goodness and with your vision for your people. God, we thank you for this church. We thank you for your love. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And we said together, amen.